Welcome to We Flesh, in this here place, Black Women Be, a podcast that explores topics relevant to Black women folk and all those who love and care for us. Here, we embrace the fullness of our humanity. Here, we be in conversation and contemplation. Here, we just be together. Join me, Lisa Anderson, and my amazing co-host, Amakayla Gaston. Welcome, beloveds. In the words of Toni Morrison, in this here place, we flesh. Welcome to the first episode of our new podcast, We Flesh. Yes. Offering Auburn Seminary's Sojourner Truth Leadership Circle. My name is Lisa Anderson, and I am a Black feminist theologian. I'm an Atlantan by way of Harlem, New York, <laughs> founder of the Sojourner Truth Leadership Circle, and I'm also a Prosecco drinker. Mm. Um, I love beautiful things (laughs) that's because you're beautiful thank you baby and I'm I'm Michaela Gaston I am the founder of the International Cultural Arts and Healing Sciences Institute and an executive director for World Trust Education Services and I've been with these fabulous human beings from Auburn through the Sojourner Truth Leadership Circles with just making music and going to all of their fantastic amazing workshops and conferences and Mm -hmm. I've just I'm so in love with these humans and it's such an honor to be here with you, Lisa, and talking about how we flesh, we flesh, we beautiful black woman. And I, you know, I gotta say, I'm a very proud black woman and I just love being in conversation with other black women and talking about the things we need and the ways we are and the who's we's bees. And I'm so grateful that this space exists for us to do this and share our thoughts and feelings and have other guests come on and share their thoughts and feelings. Yay. I'm very excited about this, our inaugural (laughs) episode. You know, it's so funny when we were thinking about this podcast, and this is my second time in the podcast arena. Mm. Um, Yeah, I worked on a podcast for the last um, two years with a good friend of mine, Mackie Alston. Oh. Called Friends for Life. Oh. And I think what inspires me to even think about what this would be like Mm -hmm. is, you know, we were two activists, you know, lovers Mm -hmm. of God and justice, love and justice. Mm -hmm. Um, And I loved, you know, he's a white gay man. I'm a black queer woman. That was a great pairing, but I've been longing, longing, longing to explore this idea of what it means to be Mm -hmm. with another black woman. And um, it's funny because I'm a killer. We've known each other relatively short time, only a yeah. few years, but you know, we uh, fam, honey. Imagine this. Yeah. And I mean, you know, we flesh, you know, mm. in this here place, black women be it, mm. obviously title taken from um, Toni Morrison. Yes. The fabulous. And infamous. Um, yeah, that, <laughs> It, you know. Do you remember the first time you were exposed to Toni Morrison? Yes, I was in seminary. Ooh. I was in seminary. 
Um, and the first book I ever read by her was actually Beloved, mm. um, which is where, you know, in this here place we flesh comes from. Mm-hmm. And I remember I read it over a summertime in the in the home of my the, the then rector of my church. He and his family had gone to South Africa mm. for the and I was house sitting. And I read the book and I remember feeling like a lot of the times people read Toni Morrison, she's not easy. <laughs> no, it's, you know, it's a, it was a complex read mm-hmm. and, you know, it's a haunted story. It's a yeah. story of, you know, Setha, the main character kills her, her child. Yeah. Right. Um, it's heavy, baby. It's a That's heavy, true. heavy story, mm-hmm. but it's also a story about what it means for black folks, black people to really long for freedom. Yes. yes and, yes, yes. you know, the idea that, um, that freedom would come at the hands of so much struggle and so much difficulty and inside of the logic of white supremacy, black people looking for and wanting freedom often means that we're struggling inside of a system that doesn't mean for us to have life. And mm. then the character of Setha, indeed all of the characters in that book are saying we flesh, mm. we're alive and how we have to fight for that inside of the logic of white supremacy. Mm. Um, you know, it was a tough book. And when I first read it, I didn't even get it, but it like, <laughs> moved something inside of my body. Yes. And I've read it, I think, almost every year, like a, a ritual, a religious ritual ever wow. since. Then. Because wow. especially that sermon where the we flesh comes from, you mm. know, uh, where baby sucks holy does all that in this here place we flesh. Mm. Um, she's inviting Black people to remember that they're flesh. That always kind of stuck with me. And I think I long to understand what is she meaning to say? Mm. So, wow, that's uh, God, that was like 30 years. I've been reading that book for 30 years. Wow, that's incredible. That is incredible. I remember that was the first one that I read as well. And I remember um, it was when I first, you know, kind of started exploring my life, my sexuality, what it means to be all the parts of me. And I was also reading her and Octavia Butler at the same time, Haunty. Mm-hmm. And yes, <laughs> you know, all the different ways that their ability to hold concepts and their use of language was so delicious. Like it fit in my mouth in a certain way that I wanted to have that same kind of impact when I spoke, like the way that they would write their books. And uh, it was just so fantastic. And also like the commitment of what it means to be someone who we be, who we're talking about, to be a black woman and the struggles that we go through, no matter whether we are in slavery or whether we're talking about the here and now or whether we're talking about something that's Afrofuturistic and we're talking about it from a perspective of being an African-American vampire, whatever it was, however it is, it is something that still resonates, like you said, on a very visceral core Mm -hmm. level that makes me want to just like be in spaces where just other folk that are experiencing that same thing are. And I'm so grateful that we have this opportunity to be in this kind of 
tarrying place where we sit and we ruminate not just on the people that write about it, but the ways that we be about it every single solitary day, honey, just going to Whole Foods is no joke these days being yes. an African-American woman, right? Walking down the street. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's next level. Yeah, I like, you know, when we were thinking about this, um, Black women give me so much joy. Black people give me so much joy. But these times are so hard. Um, how many times do you wake up and what what do they call it now? Doom scrolling, where you're going through either um, the newspaper or um, your social media feed or just getting up and, you know, I listen to the podcast every morning, what a day mm. you know, for my 20 minutes of, you know, news about what happened overnight. And you can wake up and just feel like, oh gosh, you know, what is the, per- what is, I won't say what is the point, but almost what, you know, what more can our people mm. take? What more can the world take? Um, in this moment that feels so apocalyptic. Yeah. Does that drive you closer to your connection to spirituality? I know that you are, you know, Auburn Seminary, like you've mm-hmm. done the things and you are a Pastor, preacher, what, how do you define who you be in the spiritual space like that? I guess I define myself as, um, I like theologian. Ah, I, yeah. I, I like theologian. I like theopoetic. I Ooh, am. Theopoetic. That is sexy. Theopoetic. I um, love that. I like it because I've always thought of theology as art. Oh. And, um, you know, it's not science, it's, it comes from the creative spirit. That's Mm. why I think it's open to everyone. Mm. Of course, there are those of us who quote unquote, go to school for it, Mm -hmm. get training. Um, Can I ask a question in your mm -hmm. training? And just Mm -hmm. in your, I love Theopoetic, that's gorgeous. But I'm curious, you know, my family's from the South, honey. And so having uh, a pastor or a minister or a theopoetress um, was really reserved for men. And I'm curious, do you get a lot of pushback being a, a woman in that space and a black woman in that space? Or I don't, but I think that the right reason on. that I don't is it has a lot to do with not being raised in the church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right. Um, I was not raised in the church. Um, I was raised by, um, I think of my grandfather when you asked that question. Because uh, the way I said pastor. <laughs> I know. By the way, when, when, when I thought of not being raised in the church, my mm. grandfather, of course they were, they were brought up Baptist, but my grandfather, <laughs> a story I remember about him is, you know, when he was of a certain age and was supposed to, you know, come to the, to the altar railing and confess his sins, Mm -hmm. he refused to do it. And one Mm. of the reasons he refused to do it, which meant that he ultimately refused to be baptized, not because he didn't believe in God, but, well, there was a certain vanity in him at the point at that time. And he said, first of all, I've got on my good clothes and I get my hair wet down on that bench um, to get them dirty. But the uh, but inside of that to me was 
And I did, I've never done anything that bad mm-hmm. to bring me to the place that you're asking me to go. Mm-hmm. And that is, I think that sort of is why I grew up not feeling that pushback. Like nobody ever told me no. Mm-hmm. And I didn't ever hear no in relationship to theology or God. It, it wasn't until I went to seminary and I didn't hear it at seminary, but I did hear it inside of going into churches. Mm. And so there was always a difference in my mind between what I heard in church and what I heard from people like my grandfather, who in my estimation were the true theologians. And he was a, um, a construction worker mm. and, you know, went to high school, but didn't have any advanced degrees. Um, mm. But he was, we used to call him Pop X because he was a little revolutionary in his thinking nice nice but, yeah. I love it I love now, it I consider you a huge spiritual theological I like I would describe you in the same way I describe myself in terms of <laughs> you know, poetess I love that in you like I your do. spiritual space I do yeah you know it's funny I was like thinking about it when you're talking about your grandfather like on my daddy's side, you know, my Alabama, they, there is literally a, a Gaston Chapel church, honey, that was Baptist. And if you did not come to church, everybody would lie for you and say that you were sick so that you wouldn't get in trouble. I mean, like it was really hardcore. You didn't miss church. And I remember going as a child and it was like, when Baptists get the spirit, hunty, listen, you better, you better watch out. It was a little scary for me as a child. I was like, people were falling out. I did not understand. You know, we'd be having a wave sister, sister Shug with our, you know, Martin Luther King fans. You know, everybody had that Martin Luther King fan. that was, we shall overcome. I was blowing on her, blowing on her, but it was just, it was a lot. And I remember on my mom's side, we were raised Catholic. So there was Catholic and Baptist going, grown up and, um, you know, there was very much so in my in my upbringing a very clear understanding about you know nuns have their place but it's all about the pastor it's all about the priest it's all about the the order it's all about the pope it's all you know, it was very male focused and male oriented and it never really showed up for me except I was always wondering why the nuns were working so hard you know like the nuns were running around and doing these things and so it really made me start questioning just the structure behind uh religion in that way with respect to how living we flesh folk played into the the dynamics of it and so when I started like branching out I was branching out and studying a lot of different religions and traditions through the study of sacred ethnomusicology I love music so you know when you start studying you know Afro-Cuban rhythms with the bata and music, you're going to learn all the parts of it, which is this song is for this particular Orisha, you know, a nature spirit. And this song is for this particular, you know, like, and so looking at Candomblé and looking at Palo Mayombe and looking at, you know, Voodoo and Santeria and all the different ways that people got spirit through music, but not just, you know, falling out to hallelujah. Cause listen, in, 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 in church, when there was one brother in the choir, when he started walking up to the microphone, people just started falling out because we knew we were about to get it and get the spirit because he was bringing it down with his beautiful voice. So looking at religion through the, through the sonic experience and, and feeling touched by God through sound and music is, has always been the way that I've even, you know, like experienced 
Celtic traditions and religions and Native American traditions and religions and Buddhism and all of those things. I come to it through chanting and I come through it through drumming. And so it's very beautiful that you are in your study of it, you know, from an academic perspective, able to bring that to the space and, and be there. And then I, you know, come to it through the music space and bring that to the table. Like what a force we are, honey, the two of us. (laughs) I I love what you just said because it makes me think about, you know, I didn't grow up in the church. Mm. but God spoke to me. Oh, yes. And so this idea that God speaks to you. Yes. That there's a spirit that, um, that is alive. I mean, I, when I was growing up, I grew up in Camden, New Jersey. Mm. And, um, and Camden was one of these places where, if you were poor and black and you grew up there, there was an assumption that you were going to stay there. And I never liked it. You know, we moved there when I was seven. <laughs> my mother married my stepfather and we moved there. I was from Poughkeepsie, New York. And, um, and I never liked him, my stepfather. I never liked Camden. The place. The, the place was the place was and and I don't want to put a, a mark on the place, but on what it represented, because it was more about what was happening in the family in world, dynamic yeah. and in, in my world more than it was the place. So right. I don't have hate for Camden, New Jersey. Right. I don't have hate <laughs> for for the place. Um What's it like though? Is it nature? Is it city? I, I don't know. I've never it's been. It's urban. It's city, okay. and um, and it has a history, mm. um, of at different times of being like one of the poorest cities in the U.S. Mm. One of um of high crime. Mm. Um, black but folk there? Huh? Is it black yeah. folk there? Who? Yes, it was. It was predominantly black and Puerto Rican. Oh, okay, okay. And it was one of those cities where it probably historically was white. You saw by the time we were living there, there was white flight. There were riots mm-hmm. in the 60s and early 70s. Mm-hmm. So it was all of that kind of reality. Mm-hmm. And um, and I remember growing up there thinking, I want to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not meant to be and it was it was not just the here of there, it was the here of growing up. My stepfather was abusive. Mm-hmm. And so it was the here of growing up in that place. Mm-hmm. And it was the here of, of, it was just, it felt like it was not me. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I started, you know, listening to like some Christian radio station that was actually mm-hmm. located around the corner from my house. And um, now it would be considered, it probably was even then fundamentalist, but it was fundamentalist pre Jerry Falwell, moral majority fundamentalist, mm-hmm. which meant that it was a lot of personal spirituality. Mm-hmm. It was way more conservative than I am now. I used to say, I used to say I was born again. And at some point I gave it up. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's right. I say recovering Catholic. I'm like, well, <laughs> I was born again. And well, now I'm, I gave that up. I'll set but it down. <laughs> but at that point, that was, uh, God was actually speaking to me. It felt mystical. Mm. 
God saying, I love that. We're bigger than this place. You're not stuck here. And I hear that, you know, it means any place that we're not yeah. stuck yeah. as humans. Um, that you are beautiful, that you're yes. wonderful, right. that um that God's belovedness is for you. Like God spoke to me. Yes. I believe and that's that. why I went to seminary. That's mm. why I you know, have done all of the things that I've done. And even inside of that, when the spirit of confined and exclusive and tight and those humans don't belong, when that like got, when, when that spirit started to like grip me and mm. at some point it did with those, with that fundamentalist radio station, mm. it was almost like God's God, like, like a thunderbolt. <laughs> God would say, Oh, excuse me. No miss thing. That is not the call. <laughs> Um, so I'm I'm saying that to say, I feel a kindred spirit with you Hmm. kind of, it's through music, it's through art, it's through something mystical and ourselves. Yes. And an openness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, what I love about you is the openness that we have to explore and embrace all these things. Cause I know when I was growing up, that was, you know, I'm a child of the sixties, honey. So cults were big back in the time. Right. So that I was like, I want to be a hard Krishna. Like I would, I was like, let's go there singing and dancing on the corner, giving out candy. That's my jam right there. You know, like, so just really wanting to continue like you're talking about right now exploring all the different ways that people experience God and you know God spoke to me God would speak to me all the time every time I took a walk in the woods me and my dog I would really commune with spirit and I think that you know it's a tragedy right now these days you know I do wonder about the youth these days that are so wed to a phone and we're in this atomistic place of, you know, everybody's their own, in their own world, on their own phone, listen to their own music with their own headphones on. Like there's no communing, even communally in community, but for real, just even one-on-one communing with self and spirit in a way where you walk through the woods and you hear God talk to you through the babbling of a brook or the wind and the trees and the leaves. And, you know, like that's, and I think that's why we're talking about Toni Morrison's book, like speaking to the sense of soul through the language of things seen and unseen, you know, like in the bluest eye, like all those ways that we tap into things greater than ourselves by being connected to things greater than ourselves, as opposed to, you know, the 50 million TikTok that we all be watching, honey, you know, but like, how do we, how do we do that? You know, how do we find the ritual that grounds us? How do we weave in those parts that feel lost and alone and and kind of disparate and like you know crumbled at the end of the day of working for somebody you don't really want to work for for a job you really don't want to be at you know coming together to to find the soothing salve to regroup and you know the hope is that you could come to a sacred sense of self and be in silence or be in nature or be in music that will heal all those parts that that are so hungry and wanting to be seen and soothed and secure. You know, when you say that, um, Michaela, I think, you know, so the subtitle of this podcast is In This Here Place Black Women Be. Yes. Be. And this idea of our being, just Mm. being as enough. Yes. And that from our being, so much emerges. And so when I think about, you know, we've got 
five little episodes of this <laughs> podcast, but we get to imagine this, you know, um, Black women being with these amazing women um, yes. that we're going to interview over the next yes, interview. I'll I just talk with. Just yeah, we're in conversation. Yes, yeah, communing. Um, and I love the topics too. We be mothering we be what's another we be we be loving we be singing we be truth telling that's right we yeah. be managing we be all kinds of delicious things it's just gonna yeah. be so much fun to be having these spaces for people to dip in and feel rejuvenated by what mm -hmm, we mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and every time it's just I'm sure we'll come back to her again and again because how can we not I just <laughs> hear baby sugs holy saying to the you know to the community to come and dance and laugh and be and mm -hmm. then her asking them love yourself because yonder they don't love you mm -hmm. love the different parts of yourself because yonder they don't love you like mm -hmm. calling us into a way of being mm -hmm. right now mm -hmm. because that's our survival for the future mm -hmm. and that that's what I I'm just in a state of wonder mm -hmm. about what will emerge as we sort of dig into yes in this here place we be Black women be talking about mothering, singing, creating. I'm very excited. Yay. Very excited. Have you seen Daughters of the Dust? Yes, I have. Okay. Do you remember when she is saying, I love you because you're mine? And she's mm -hmm. crying at the end on the beach. And she's like, got to keep these stories inside of we. I know, girl, I want to cry too. But it is that. It's this. It's, you know, like, I feel like we're sitting on the beach and we're about to learn about D-Lo, you know, all the different ways and the stories and. Folk come together and share their truth and their being. When you said, you know, one of the questions I know we're going to ask each woman every week when they come on is, you know, what do they love about being a Black woman? Mm. And when you said, I love you because you're mine. Yes. Mm. That reminded me. So two days ago, we rewatched The Color Purple. Oh Lord! And you know, at the end, when she's when she's when she's riding off, and you know, he says all these horrible things about her: "You're poor, you're black, nobody." And she says, "But I'm, I'm here. here. I'm here. Right, I'm here, honey." It's the hereness of it. It's the, the 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 flesh that gets to take up the space yes that is right mm -hmm. I you know I love how you know we can all kind of quote that movie because a that was like one of those few times where we are seeing ourselves on a big screen but listen when people turn around and do that hand to you do right by me and they throw up the hand all that's all I have to say everybody knows what's about to say next mm -hmm. everything's oh, gonna crumble baby honey and the me and you I mean I listen I, my friends and I do that hand clap every time we say goodbye to each other yeah. it's just how you do it Mm -hmm. And here is the, the thing, because the movie is so fresh, until you do right by me, it was both a curse, but it was a calling. Yeah. All to do right. Yes. And he did right. 
That's right. So that there was like this full circle moment of a Mm -hmm. community that had the opportunity to be healed. And, you know, as we're, as, as, as I, I, we know these women that we're inviting on, I'm going to let it be a surprise to our audience. (laughs) We know them. And so this idea of they all, all of these women are embodying an Afrofuturism that is also grounded in the present, that is connected to the ancestors. and. Inside of every one of that is Black women not imagining a future that does not include all of us. Period. Yes, absolutely. Right there. It's not about making it right again. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you a question. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Tell me about a ritual that grounds you. Mm. Hmm. One that always grounds me, and this is so funny because I was on another podcast talking about this very thing. There is something so powerful, even just about rocking and humming, you know, and I do love the ritual of grounding when I can go out and be in nature or I can go out and do something, but sometimes I don't have the time to do that. I can't find no space to do that with COVID running around, you know, like all the things I don't want to not be grounded. And so I just sit and rock and hum, honey. And I hum these songs my grandmother used to sing, you know, and I just, or I hum whatever song I feel like singing, uh, Aretha Franklin, whatever, you know, whoever, whatever. But that there's such a way that humming, that kind of sonic healing that happens when you resonate and you kind of recalibrate your inner self just by rocking and humming they have done so many studies that show that all of these hormones are released oxytocin all these different things when you take care of yourself that way just that simple act of rocking back and forth and humming you know and just kind of being in the space and you know so many times and this is so good that we're in a society today now that we're starting to really talk about mental health around focal color for so long it's been such a taboo topic but people are really stepping in and reclaiming it and so a lot of people for a long time have not wanted to rock and hum because you look crazy quote unquote you look like you talking to yourself or you got some kind of issue going on but truthfully when you sit and you just rock and mm-hmm, Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be anything more than that, but it just kind of brings it back to what's so and what's real. And, you know, it's like a cup of really good chicken soup, honey. It just mm-hmm. does it for the soul. It just, for me, that's my grounding ritual. What about you? I love to be in motion, physical motion. Um, I used to just say, uh, you know, I like to work out. Mm -hmm. And folks used to say to me, Lisa's going to church when she would go to the gym. (laughs) And and a part of me used to be like, oh, that's terrible. that that, that, That's what I'm doing for my ritual or one of my rituals. And then I realized, like really tuned into what's going on with me. Mm -hmm. So when I was a kid, um, so I, I have a, like a congenital disability, right? So when I was a kid, I wasn't supposed to take gym class. Mm-hmm. One, my legs was shorter than the other. Mm-hmm. And eventually mm-hmm. I had to have um, surgery, uh, an amputation like above the knee. And so mm-hmm. I had prosthetic, all of that. Mm-hmm. And so the whole narrative of me growing up was 
She's not supposed to take gym class. She's not supposed to be physical. She's not supposed to do this, that, and a third. Mm -hmm. And I went with that for a, a long time until I didn't. And, yes. <laughs> and then I realized, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm actually really physical. And I love sweating, kickboxing. Yes. Cycling, yes. Um, sword fighting, like intentional, deep physical right activity. On. I love like that act of that deep, deep breathing that mm. you do when you're physically very active. Mm -hmm. First of all, just to realize my body can actually do these things. So this whole kind of limitation that's placed on so many bodies yes. in the world about what constitutes your capacity to be physical or not. You better like, sing it, honey. That's right. There's, you know, lies, all lies. <laughs> lies and garbage. Yes. <laughs> all lies garbage. and garbage. You know, however real. you can move it, you know, you can move it. Yes. And so there is that, but it gives me this, it like my mind opens when my body is in motion. Mm -hmm. Now the thing about that ritual of like moving and, you know, exercising, I'm not always faithful to that activity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes I get really disconnected mm -hmm. from the fact that I love it. And usually I'm disconnected when I let a wellness culture idea of what it's for. Yes. So, God, so over that caca. You know, about, I need to lose weight. Right. I need to earn my food. I yeah. need to, you know, all of that stuff. Like that's what it's for. And <laughs> it's like, no, no, no. How many times did I finish the poem? When I got mm. on, when I got on the cycling bike in the cycling oh, class, I like that, Lisa. Let my mind just kind of open. Oh, I really like that. See, that's that is totally inspiring to me because yes, I do feel like this culture is very oppressive when it comes to the shoulds, what you should eat, how you should look, how many minutes you should this that should blah blah blah. Then that my inner rebel is just like, ah, I can't do it just because you said so. I really can't. But then mm -hmm. I got hip too. Have you done Pilates? I haven't tried it yet, but that reformer looks like fun. Yeah, actually, I've done a little Pilates. Um, I've had a trainer a couple of times. I'm going to shout out Nichelle Jenkins. Go Some ahead, Nichelle Jenkins. We'll know uh, the Reverend Michelle Jenkins Esquire. Some folk will know her. <laughs> um, has been my coach. She coaches for STLC. Oh, She's nice. been my personal trainer. And I just, I just have to shout her out. Shout it out. Shout yeah. it out. Why um, wouldn't we big up our, our family? Yeah. But I'm just saying that to say, um, I love that both of our rituals are in, like there's a body, there's motion mm. around them. And yeah, I do feel like, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just thinking, you know, that was one of the things too. I think that our, our society also, um, honors the disembodied like we have to do what we have to do to embody ourselves again because you know you disconnect you jump on zoom it's just your head you know like it's just this kind of way that we aren't having to or able to engage <laughs> your body or if you do it's very limited 
and like prescribed, like you're saying, go to the gym 20 minutes, as opposed to get through this poem while I'm walking on my treadmill. That's what I'm gonna do now. You have inspired me, sis. But like, yeah, I love it. yeah but no. how mm-hmm. you reframed in a way that's joyous and holistic as opposed to prescriptive and decided by Dr. Blah, blah, blah. No, no, that's, I mean, yeah, I've, I've, I try to honor that part of myself and Mm -hmm. see it as a thing, you know, see it as something that it's like, yeah. And for us differently able sister and like, you know, Mm -hmm. we need some different things. We need different. Yes. I mean, I spent my, you know, a lot of time reorganizing how to move in my head mm-hmm. um, so that it fits my body. And mm-hmm. so oh, in my ne- my next life, besides the fact that I would be a bartender, a mixologist <laughs> in drag, I would also be, I would also be a fitness, quote unquote, a fitness instructor um, for folk with uncommon bodies. I love that I yeah. think you could be like a pole instructor for folks well, <laughs> <laughs> okay so yeah that's that's what I would like I guess we could go on forever I know it's true I think that uh, you know our producer is probably going to start waving at us like rabbit hop sisters but how about this I ask you what you love being what do you love about being a black woman um so I love how we how we look. I think black women look beautiful. Mm-hmm. I love our skin. I love our hair. I love the curvatures of our bodies. Mm. I I like looking at all black women, but there's something about old black women yes. who've been through it. Mm. Um, the kind of creases in their skin, the the myriad colors that we come in. But mm. I, I I I do love lifting up the dark sisters. Hey, yes, you indeed. Know? I love, I love us. I love the way we smell. I love the way we just, you know, the curl patterns in our hair. I love the way that we innovate our bodies in all these different ways. Mm. So that whether you put chemicals in it or not, whether you twist it or not, whether you shave it all off or not, (laughs) it's just, this commitment mm. to the Africanness that is in us. Oof. There it is. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm feeling it. I, you know, the the diversity that we express mm-hmm. from every shade our- of yes, yes. yes. every shade. hue of cocoa. Yes, it's tray, tray delicious. Every texture of hair, every length, every size, every size of lip, of nose, mm-hmm. of eye, all those things are just. We are the black gold of the sun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. beautiful. It's beautiful. And, and the um, stories we tell and the songs that we sing and yes. the food that we make and all the goodness from around the world is just all baked into the beauty of of 
a life of, I don't want to say struggle, but it's a life lived Mm -hmm. with resilience Mm -hmm. because we know how it trickles down on us, that we have a level of resilience. We are truly forged by fire into the gold that we are. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. So we do have to end with the song. I want to know first. Yes, because I, the song. Because I thought about, I usually, I thought about this. Um, so tell me, or I'll go first and, and you can have the last word. <laughs> okay. So a song that I always carry with me mm. is um, Golden by Jill Scott. Oh, yes. You know, and when the Sojourner Truth Leadership Circle started, our theme song was the Diane Reeves song, um, endangered species. Yes. And I love that song. I will always love that song. Yes. Yes. But I'm wondering mm. if it's time to incorporate. Yes. Listen, I think there is there. What did you say? Minimalism is fascism. We don't want just one song. One song. Right? We want all the songs. We want all the vibes. Mm-hmm. And my song that have really been you know, carrying with me and, and when things are hard is a sweet honey in the rock song. Listen more often to things and to beings. Tis the ancestor's breath. When the fire's voice is heard, tis the ancestor's breath in the voice of the waters. Ah. Yes. <laughs> That's the short, short, short version, but I just love that song. That song, that song next to when Jill says, I'm taking my freedom, holding it off the shelf, Mm -hmm. putting it on my chain, wearing it around my neck. (laughs) That idea, those two songs melded together. I feel like it's a little bit of us. Yes. We show up. Oh, I think I'm going to say it every week by the time we get to the end. I love you, Michaela. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And we love everybody listening. Just know that we are reflecting your beautiful golden self back to you about foya. We love you because you're iron. (laughs) (laughs) See you next week, loves. See you next week. (laughs) We'll see you when we see you. (laughs) See you when we see you. (laughs) In this week's episode, Amakela shared how rocking and humming is a way that she comes home to herself when she feels out of sorts or at any time when she longs to feel connected to the goodness of herself. How do you feel comfortable in your own skin? What movement or activity brings you close to yourself? What do you need at this moment? Right here, right now. Take some time to reflect on what you need.
Thank you for listening to We Flesh, an offering of Auburn Seminary's Sojourner Truth Leadership Circle. For more content and offerings created by Black women for Black women, visit us at tarryingplace.org. Our podcast is produced and edited by Courtney Weber Hoover with cover art by Matt C and music by Amakela Gaston and Alexander Nakarada. If you'd like to support our work, please consider leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, beloveds.